Uh, I want to just thank Brother Leroy <coughs> for that uh, introduction. You slaughtered my name. You did. Um, but you did better than most people. So that's a, I guess that's a compliment. My name is Samu Moala. Um, I, like you said, I come from Salt Lake City, Utah, but I'm currently doing Bible work uh, for the Puna Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, it's the other church that Pastor um, Keala pastor, pastors. And uh, it's just an honor and it's a privilege to just to be able to come before you and share the word of God. And uh, I want to th uh, thank, I think, Sister Joyce, yes? Uh, I want to thank you for your Sabbath school. Very, very well put together, and I was uh, really blessed. And um, I just need to say, ask something. If there's any mechanics in, in the house, on my way here, uh, just right down the road, I was having problems with the, <laughs> with the vehicle, and I'm not much of a mechanic. Uh, I was always you know, doing other things, not learning what I was supposed to learn from my father. But um, if someone can help me out with my vehicle after, after church, uh, I have a speaking appointment at 4 o'clock back at uh, the Puna side of the island, and I need to be there by 4. And if someone can help me out, that would <laughs> really be appreciated. So without further ado, let's just start with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God that is in heaven, <clears throat> we just praise your name and we just glorify your name for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And Father, we're just thankful that you've allowed us to meet in your house this morning and that you've allowed us to open your Bible and to learn more about your character and to learn more about your truth. Father, we don't need to ask you to dwell here because this is your house, but if it's one thing we do ask is that you dwell in our hearts. We ask you now that you just open up our minds and you open up our hearts to, to truth and, and, and to help us to discern from truth and error. Father, as we open up this book, your Bible, this supernatural book, this book that changed my life and, and changed the lives of millions of other people, as we open up this book that, that, that millions have laid their lives down for, as we open up this book that was inspired by you, this supernatural book, we just ask you now that you allow us to have a supernatural experience. In all these things we pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Going throughout high school, and my, my going out throughout high school, June, my junior year, freshman year, and my sophomore year, going through elementary school and, and going through junior high, my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade years, I lived my life, listen here very carefully, enslaved to the thoughts of other people about me. I was a slave to the thoughts of other people about me. You see, to me, when, when, when you hear this, this, word, this word peer pressure, to me, peer pressure, it was more than your, your typical drugs and, and marijuana and the alcohol and, and the cigarettes. Peer pressure was more than that to me. Peer pressure was my life because I was afraid. I was pressured by the thoughts of other people about me. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Mark. We're going to look at the book of Mark starting chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 14. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Say amen when you get there. Amen. Mercy if you still need more time. Mark chapter 6, verse 14. Mark 6, verse 14. And it, and it reads, 
And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that this is John the Baptist, was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth in themselves in him. Verse 15, others said that this is Elijah, and others said that this is a prophet or as one of the prophets. Verse 16, but when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded, he has risen from the dead. Verse 17, for Herod himself had sent forth and, and laid hold upon John and, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and could not and could and would have killed him but she could not verse 20 for Herod feared John knowing that he was a just man and a holy and observed him and when he heard him he did many things and he what and he heard him gladly. So let's stop and let's recap. Let's, let's summarize what we've read so far from verse 14. So here's the picture. You have King Herod. He's, he's hearing about all the wonderful things that Jesus Christ is doing. He's hearing about all the miracles. The, Jesus is raising people from the dead. And Jesus is opening the eyes of the blind and causing the lame to walk. He's hearing about all of these things. And in his mind, in King Herod's mind, he thinks this is John the Baptist that has risen from the dead. This is the picture we have so far. It was Herod himself who, who arrested John the Baptist, correct? That's what it said in verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and, and laid hold upon John. But question, why did King Herod arrest John the Baptist? I thought that King Herod liked John the Baptist. That's what it tells us in verse 20. It says in verse 20, for Herod feared John. And it's not like a fear like I'm afraid. It's a fear out of respect. I, I respect John. King Herod respected John. So there's one thing. He respected John. Knowing that he was a what? A just man, number two. And knowing that he was a holy man, number three. And he observed him. He watched him. He heard him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. See, when you, when you read this verse, it indicates that there was some sort of, sort of friendship or, or some sort of bond between King Herod and John the Baptist. So why would King Herod arrest John the Baptist? It tells us right there in verse 20, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for whose sake? For Herodias' sake. He, he didn't arrest John the Baptist because he wanted to. He did it because of someone else. And I, I surmised, I came to the conclusion that he did this because he feared Herodias. Let's continue on. Verse 21. And when a convenient day was come and that Herodias on his birthday made a supper to his lords and high captains and chief, chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and she danced and, and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever, whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. Verse 23, and he swore unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee, up to half of my kingdom. Point. Why would King Herod make a promise like this? To a, to a young lady, why, why would King Herod make a promise like this? You guys can talk, it's okay. 
Too much to drink. And, uh, the type of dance yeah, the type of dance she probably did. That's 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 a whole nother sermon. That's all right. But um, the spirit of prophecy, the desire of ages. Uh, Ellen White talks about this. She she talks about this story, and she says that the reason why King Herod make a, made a promise like this was because of the people that were sitting there around him. He wanted to impress those people because look who's there at the party. You, you, you have, the, 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 you, you have the, uh, the chief estates and the high captains and, and you, you have the lords of, of this, this, this place. You know, you're talking about like the Bill Gates and, and the Donald Trumps of that era. And Ellen White tells us that the reason why he made such a stupid promise as this was because he wanted to impress the people around him? He cared more about what they thought than for standing up for what was right. And we'll get into that point a little later. My desire of my book, The, the Desire of Ages, um, I flew to Maui and I preached at the Lahaina Church uh, this, this last weekend. And while I was on the airplane, um, I sat next to a lady that worked for, uh, I believe she worked for the Salvation Army. And, um, you know, we, we had a good uh, theological discussion there on the, on the plane. And uh, I ended up giving her my desire of ages. So these quotes, I don't have my book here, so I, I can't read them to you. So uh, just if you guys want those quotations, you guys should come, come to me later. But let's continue on, verse 24. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall, this is after she danced the dance. She went forth and, and she said unto her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway, straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. Verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for the sakes of those which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Verse 28. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and they took up the corpse and they laid it in the tomb. That would have been real great, huh? To go pick up the headless corpse of their best friend and the cousin of Jesus. But because a girl danced a dance, and because all of those who were there at the party, and because King Herod made such a stupid promise, and because King Herod cared more about what other people thought than for standing up what was right, one of his best friends died. King Herod lived a life based on what other people thought about him. King Herod lived his life enslaved to the thoughts of other people about him. He couldn't stand up for what was right because he cared too much about the thoughts of other people about him. I was King Herod before I came to Christ. Going throughout high school and junior high and elementary school, that was me. I was king. You see, when I studied this story, I saw myself. 
everything that I did, everything, every activity that I participated in, every cigarette that I smoked, every joint that I smoked, every beer that I picked up, I didn't do it because I wanted to. I did it because I was scared of other people's thoughts about me. The only reason why I drank, it's not because I wanted to, but it's because I was afraid of what, what, what would my friends say to me if I didn't drink with them? What would my friends, what, what would they say to other people about me if I, if I didn't drink with them? The only reason why, why I would fight and, and do all of these things is, is because I was scared. If I, if I didn't fight this person that wanted to fight me, what would people say about me the next day at school? That's, I, uh, that's the way I lived my life. I lived my life in fear of people's thoughts about me. During my senior year in high school, I went to private school, Gem State Adventist Academy. And uh, my mom, God bless her heart, she seen my life and the things that I was doing. And, and she, she can tell that if I keep living my life this way that, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere. So God bless her heart. She decided to, to, to send me to, a, to a, one of our Adventist schools, Adventist academies in Idaho. And I live in Utah, so it's about six hours from where I live. So she sent me there. And uh, during my senior year in high school, you know, I, I have been in public school. And I have, you know, what's going on over here. This, I, I showed up at Gem State Adventist Academy, and I was just, like, mortified. I was I was scared, you know, so much. In my mind, these were weird people. In my mind, these, these Adventists, look at these Adventists. These, these people are weird. They, they, you know, they wear the long dresses all the way down to their knees. And, and you know, they, they eat vegetarian food. And, you know, some of them are like anti, like they won't even get in cars with leather seats type of people. And I was just like, what, what is this? I did not want anything to do with this, with Adventism or with Christianity or, or whatever you, you would say, you want to call it. But during my senior year in high school, I came to the realization that the way I'm living my life is going to get me absolutely nowhere. And if life is about living your life based on other people's thoughts about you, what's the point of living if you can't even live your own life? So I began to think to myself, senior year in high school, I began to think my, to myself as I was at this Adventist school that there must be something in this world that is worth living for. There has to be something in this world living for that's worth living for. And I hadn't found it yet, but I began to search. And I had gone through a number of different religions, and, and I was at Gem State Academy, and all, you know, all of these different things were happening. Praise God that that year I was at Gem State Adventist Academy, they sent Bible workers there. Now, something funny about this was the Bible workers were supposed to come the year before the year that I wasn't there. But then they had, like, difficulties or whatever, and something happened, and then they ended up coming the next year, which was the year I was there. And, and I believe that was divinely appointed. I, I, I believe without a doubt that God put us together for a specific purpose. Because at Gem State Adventist Academy, for the first time in my life, 
Someone sat me down and opened up a Bible and told me that Jesus Christ loves the sinners like you. For the first time in my life, Jesus, someone sat me down and opened up the Bible and showed me this is what Jesus was willing to do for you. This is what Jesus was willing to sacrifice for you. And when that happened, my eyes were opened, my heart was opened, and Jesus Christ came into my heart. I was baptized May 31st of, uh, of 2009, graduation day. I was baptized on May 31st, 2009. But many times throughout the Bible, Paul tells us in, in Romans 1.1 and, and Titus 1.1 and, and, and other books too that he is the bond servant of Christ. I am the bond servant of Christ, Paul tells us. I am the bond servant of Christ. Many times he tells us this. And that word bond servant, it means slave. It means slave. So Paul is telling us, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ, and I am a slave of Christ. Can you look yourself in the mirror? Can you look at yourself? Can you, can you say to yourself that you are a slave of Christ and not the slave to the world? Let's turn our, book to the, uh, turn our Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1. In verse 10, Galatians 1, 10, and it reads, For do I now persuade men or God, or, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not, what? Be the servant of who? Of Christ. Paul is telling us here, you, you're, there's only one master you can serve. It's either Christ or it's the world. Which one is it going to be? Because if you claim, if you serve the world, then you're not a servant of Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. And in my mind, as, as I was going throughout my, my senior year in high school, I read this verse. The Bible worker showed me this verse, and he said, you need to make up your mind. Are you going to serve Christ? Or are you going to serve the world? Who is it going to be? And I made up my mind. And I said, I'm going to serve Christ. I am going to be a slave to Christ and not a slave to the thoughts of other people about me. Because when all else is done, when life comes to an end, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, and if your relationship with Christ is not your number one priority in your life, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. If you put things before God, if you put your car before God, or your house before God, or even your family and friends before God, you're not going to make it. And I realized this. Going throughout high school, February of, of 2000 and 2009, I, I went to GYC, I went to, I went to GYC uh, 2000, in 2008, San Jose, uh, for this purpose. And it was there at that GYC, I, I, God revealed his purpose for me in life. And uh, since, since then, like the, the past year of my life, I wouldn't trade it for like the past 16, 17 years of my, you know, of my life because of my, it's just been such an amazing experience with God. 
It's just, it's been the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. But going, I went to GYC and I, uh, my purpose was, God revealed his purpose to me at that GYC. So I, I went back and I, and I decided to share and I preached my very first sermon of, uh, on January 15th. I, I preached my very first sermon. And I had no clue how to put a sermon together. I, I was never taught these things. I, I never knew how to study my Bible or any of this. So I preached my first sermon January, in January. And then in February, I took part in an evangelistic series. Keep in mind, I was not even baptized yet. And I preached in the evangelistic series. You know, God is just like, you know, God is just like, yeah, you don't know these things. You, you don't know this, but if you just open up your heart and your mind to me, I will teach you through my Holy Spirit. And that's what God did. Because my senior year in high school, even though it's, it was supposed to be the easiest year, it was the most stressful year for me. Because throughout that time, I was traveling with the gymnastics team and the choir and, and all, of these, all of these different groups. And I was doing uh, the, the worships for them when they would go to uh, different uh, academies and they would perform shows and you do worships and stuff before the shows and, and after the shows and stuff like that. And I was doing these things for them. And I just felt really like bogged down with all of this like, going on. But little did I know that all of this, this, this trial that I was going through just prepared me for what was going to come in the summertime. Because in July, uh, July, of 2000, yeah, July of 2009, I, I preached my second evangelistic series. I was finally baptized on graduation day. And then um, I preached my first evangelistic series, part of the Youth for Jesus program, the Youth for Jesus ASI. And I, I preached an evangelistic series for them down in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, going through Phoenix, oh, man, it's so hot down there. It's like we were doing outreach. You know, we were going out do doing door knocking. And, like, it's like 118, 120 degrees outside. And you want to talk about fiery trials. That was fiery trials that we were going through. But the amazing thing is, is the youth during that time, the, the youth, they, they were a little younger than me. They didn't complain. You know, they were like, we do door to door every, every day. And then even on Saturdays, we'd go out on the afternoons. And these young people on fire for Christ, did, they didn't care for the heat. They, were, they, were, they, were, they, they cared for those lost souls that were in the community. And I, I preached my, my first evangelistic series there at, at, um, at the Youth for Jesus program. And, and uh, towards the, the end of the evangelistic series, uh, what, what had happened was I, I was preaching, and I'm preaching, and then I, I gave my testimony to the church and, and uh, many different churches while I was out there. And there was a lady that came up to me after the, like, the meetings were there wrapping up, and she came to me. And she said, I've been watching you. And, then, you know, at first I was like, okay, kind of freaky. You've been watching me, you know, kind of like a, a stalker type of, that's, that's what first came to my mind. And she's like, no, no, not like stalking you, but, you know, like I, I've, been, I've been watching you. And I was like, okay, this still doesn't, anyways. So she, she told me that a couple weeks ago she felt impressed that she needed to pay for my way to go to Amazing Facts is, I forgot to explain this. When I went to Gem State, my parents uh, couldn't help me pay the bill, so I had to pay the bill myself. So I was working and going to school at the same time. And uh, when I was going to school, I was working, and I managed this $13,000 a year. And I managed to get about half of that paid off, and I had $6,000 left uh, by the time I graduated. So I graduated from there, and um, <clears throat> when I 
after, after graduation, and I went, to the, I went to You for Jesus, and, and she was telling me, she's saying, you know, I, I, I feel impressed that I need to pay for you to go to Amazing Facts. And the only thing that was hindering me from going to Amazing Facts was my $6,000 school bill at Gem State. So she said, I felt impressed that I need to pay that $6,000 off from Gem State. And then I was like, okay, praise God, you know. But she's, then she's like, well, first I, I needed to make sure, you know, that this was, this was correct because that's a lot of money that you're talking, you know, that we're talking about. So she, you know, she's asking people about me and, you know, different things like this, trying to find out who I am and if I really deserve this or not. So she came up to me and she said, I'm going to pay this. I want to pay your $6,000 off. And I was like, praise God. You know, praise God, now I just, you know, I, I need, I, like, I didn't say this to her, but in my mind, I was thinking, okay, $6,000 off, now, Lord, $5,000, right? And then she comes up the next day, and she's like, and I'm going to pay the $5,000 for you to go to Amazing Facts. And on top of that, I'm going to pay for your books. And on top of that, I'm going to pay for your gas. And she even offered to get me a cell phone. And I'm just like, whoa, you've done way too much for me already. I don't need a cell phone. You know, she, she, she offered to pay my, my, the, my car off for me and all of these different things. And I was like, lady, God bless your heart, but no thank you. You've done enough for me. My experience with God has been the most powerful experience I have ever experienced before. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 34. We're going to be looking at verse 8. Psalms 34, verse 8. Psalms 34, verse 8, and it reads, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? What is, what is taste? What is taste? Yes, you guys can answer. It's all right. Experience, right? So you can rightfully replace that word taste with the word experience. Experience and see that the Lord is good. It's kind of like this when you go to a restaurant for the first time, right? And you're, you're at this restaurant or wherever you are, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you, you order something off the menu. You know, something that you've never tasted before, but it just sounds so good. And the picture beside it just looks so appealing, you know, that you can't help but, but get whatever it's on the, that you're going to get that's on the menu. So you order the thing, and the, 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 the waiter comes, and he takes down your order, and he goes. And then about 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, he brings out your order to you, right? And, you know, you can just smell it, and your mouth begins to get watery, you know, you know all of these different things. And you take your fork, and you, you, you put it in there, and then you put it in your mouth. And then many descriptions begin to run through your mind. Oh, this is, this is all so good. It's tender. It's, you know, perfect seasoning and everything, right? And you, your, your first reaction when this happens is you say to yourself, this is the best thing I have ever tasted. This is the best thing I have ever experienced. And then your second reaction is you're going to turn to your friend and he's going to, you're going to tell your friend, you've got to taste this. You've got to try it out. It's the best thing you will ever experience. It's the same thing with God. I've tasted and I've seen and I've experienced that the Lord is good for myself. For myself. And now my second reaction is that I want to turn to my friends and turn to my family and turn to the people around me and tell them, you have got to try this. It's the best thing you will ever experience.
experience, guaranteed. God has called us all, yes? Matthew chapter 28. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, if this one calling that we all have in common, this is where we're going to find it. We're going to start with verse 18. And it reads, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, teaching them to observe the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm here to tell you, if a young man that is 18 years old can get up and preach a sermon, that you guys can do it also. Because many times I, I run into to the church members at, at different churches that I've spoken in, and they're just like, you know, I want to preach, but I'm too scared. I want to share, share Jesus with my friends, but I'm too scared. I want to I share Jesus with my family. I want to share the love of Christ with the world, but I'm too scared. And Jesus tells us here that you go preach and you teach and you don't only teach, but you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he tells us in the latter part of the verse that I will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, you can go to, to the third world countries, you can be at your house, you can be at work, you can be at school. Wherever you are, you preach, you teach, and you baptize, and I will be with you. That's the promise Jesus gives us. Lo, I am with you always. It's just a closing illustration, and we're going to be done here. There's a cruise ship going down whatever ocean you want to, let's just say the Pacific Ocean. Cruise ship going down the Pacific Ocean. And, you know, you, how many of you guys here have been on a cruise ship? It's a wonderful experience, isn't it? On this cruise ship, you have, like, the families and all these people, you know, they're, they're playing on the deck and, you know, they're, they're doing the things that you do on a cruise ship. They're just having fun. They're relaxing, getting away from the, the, the troubles of life, right? But in the far-off distance, in this cruise ship, they can see that there is a storm that's coming their way. But, you know, they don't pay it any attention. It's far off. They, they'll just move inside, the sh they'll move inside when, when, the, when, when the storm gets there. So they play, and a couple hours go by, and the, the, the storm finally arrives. And as the storm, and it begins to lightly rain, and, and, and all the families, they begin to move inside. And when they move inside and the, the rain begins to fall a little heavier and heavier, and one of the parents, one of the fathers that were inside, they looked out the, out the window or the door, whatever you want to call it, and they seen that there was still a boy that was on the deck that was out there. He was just playing as though nothing was going on around him. The man watched and he observed. And he was dumbfounded. He, he was confused. He, he was wondering, why isn't this, 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 this young boy, this, this, this son, why, why isn't he coming inside? So he worked up the guts to go out there and, and to, to, to ask the boy. 
So he, he's walking up, and he's walking up to where the boy is, and, and he sees that the boy is just sitting there playing with his toys as, as if nothing was going on. And the father taps the young man on his shoulders, this, this, this young boy, and, and he says, son, why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you inside with the rest of us? The boy turns at this, 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 this father, not his father, but, but someone else's father. This boy turns to this man and says, my father is the captain of this ship. I don't have anything to be afraid of. And that's how my experience has been since I have come to Christ. You know, like, I, I just feel like I'm invincible. Like, I can just go out into the world and I can do anything because I know I have God, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke and things were created. I have him by my side. Amen. You see, as we all go through this, 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 uh, as we all go through life, you know, we're in this boat we call life and, and we're traveling through the, the sea and we're, and we're, we're getting hit with trials and, and tribulations and our ups and our downs. Who's the captain of your ship? Because if you're the captain of your own ship, you're not going to make it to this harbor that we call heaven. You're not going to make it there. You have to demote yourself from captain to passenger, and you need to promote Jesus Christ from passenger to captain if you want to make it. That's the only way you're going to make it. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then it goes on to say that nothing, you know, let's turn there in our Bibles right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Very quickly, and then we're going to close up. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans 8, 31. I'm there already, so if you're not there, you better hurry up because I'm going to start reading right now. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for who? Us all correct how shall he not with also freely give us all things verse 33 who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect it is God that what justifieth verse 34 who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died he rather that is risen again who so even at the right hand of God who also make matter intercession for us right verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ this is my favorite passage in the Bible shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? What, what, what do you, what's the answer to that? No, right? Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, and we are accounted as sheep for the what? For the slaughter. We're going to suffer persecution. Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is what? In Christ Jesus, who? Our Lord. This is the promise the Bible gives us. This is the promise that the Bible gives us. But there's one condition. Jesus Christ has to be number one in your life. 
Because if it's not, then it's just all, you're riding on emotions. That's, that's what it is. You're, you're riding on your emotions. And emotions and feelings are dangerous. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is my prayer, and it's what I want for every single person here this morning. That you let Jesus Christ come into your hearts, and you feel that, that experience in your body, and in your mind, and, and in your life. Because once you feel this experience, the things of this world are going to just pass by. It's like a relationship. Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you and I. And Jesus Christ, he, 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 keeps, he, he keeps waiting and he keeps waiting and he keeps waiting. In our, in, in our stupidity, we keep letting him wait and we keep letting him wait at the door when he stands there and stands there for our whole entire lifetime. Sometimes it takes. For me, he stood at my door for the first 17 years of my life. And luckily for me, I heeded his calling early. And I don't have to go through the experiences that some of you may have experienced. But the Savior is waiting. The Savior is waiting and he wants to come into your heart. But the question is, are you going to let him come in? That's the question. Are you going to just continue to let Jesus wait out there on the doorstep? Or are you going to open your door and you're going to welcome Jesus in with your love? Maybe there's some of you here who, who haven't heeded Jesus' calling yet in your lives. Maybe there's, there's someone here who, who, who is still one foot in the church and one foot out in the world. I don't know what your situation is, but you know and God knows and it's between you and God. And don't wait to, to get things right between you and him. Do it now. Do it now because there's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of next week or, or there's no promise of five or ten years down the road. Make the decision now to surrender your life to Christ. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, our God in heaven, we thank you for this day and we just thank you for all that you've done for us. And for allowing us to be here to study your word. Father, I just ask for your forgiveness for my stumbling upon the words that you've given me. I just ask you now that the words that came out of my mouth enter into someone's heart here this morning. We just ask you now that you be with us as we depart from here, that you will just Continue to bless our lives. In all these things we pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.